This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And welcome to it uh, here Sunday afternoon. It's, what, six minutes after four. We are ready to go. We hope you are as well. Leah Moody is handling all the heavy lifting, as always, on the show this week, we'll be taking some uh, some phone calls. You have something on your mind, 604-280-9898. That's the number to call into the station now, 604-280-9898. I bet you have things on your mind when it comes to your workplace as we continue to get through this pandemic like vaccines, vaccinations. Do I have to have one? Can I be told to have one? Should I get one? Should I not? What's going to happen with the workplace? Am I going to need a vaccine passport when I go back to work? All these different questions, or anything else for that matter, when it comes to employment, a severance offer you've been offered. Maybe you've uh, maybe you've heard rumblings that they're going to be shutting down your department or hiring more people or moving you to a different job. It doesn't matter. Just uh, bring the phone calls on if you have any questions. Nothing is too silly. Nothing is too complex. Again, 604-280-9898. That's the number to call the radio station now. We're, uh, we're open, ready for business. Help at employmentlawyer.ca is the email address that we use each and every show. So let's uh, let's get it happening. Leah, how are you, pal? Oh, I am good. And I cannot uh, reiterate enough what you just said, which is, you know, no question is too silly. I cannot even no. tell you how many times I've spoken to somebody and the conversation has started out really sort of almost bashful. Like they, they just don't know if, you know, they don't want to be taking up our time and they don't know if this is an appropriate question. They've never even spoken to a lawyer before and this is all foreign to them. And I'm just always so glad that these people call because even in the rare occasion where, you know, there's nothing that I can do for them. I mean, every individual who calls with a question like that ends up getting off the phone feeling better than they did before. And that's because mm. they have information right? And information is in many ways the great equalizer between an employee and employer. So you might not have to hire a lawyer. You might not ever have to see the inside of a courtroom. In fact, the overwhelming likelihood is that you won't, but get the information that you need in order to make sure that you know your rights, you know your entitlements, and you're pursuing them. Now, you know, we talk about information and how important it is. And yet the first thing that I wanted to talk about tonight, John, is sort of we're figuring out as we go. There's just not yeah. a lot of information right now as it as it comes when it when it's uh, when it comes to vaccines. Um, but that has been the major topic. Um, I have been asked to do three or four interviews in the last week alone on uh, returning to the workplace and and vaccinations and what that means in terms of an employee employer rights. And of course, none of this has been litigated so far, right? I mean, we're just still all very, very much trying to figure out how this is going to play out as it's happening. But we do have some educated guesses. We do have a rough idea of, you know, based on other situations, how this is going to play out. And so one of the first and main questions that I get is, can an employer force you to get a vaccine. I think there's a lot of fear right. out there that there's going to be companies who say you have to get vaccinated or else you cannot come into work. And I mean, I guess we have to drill down on what it means to be forced. Obviously, or I guess maybe it's not so obvious, but as it stands right now, an employer cannot put a needle in your arm as you walk in the door. 
right? There, there is a certain amount of autonomy and self-direction and you get to decide whether or not you want to be vaccinated. That is true for this. It's true for any other vaccination. Um, your employer does not have a say as to what you put in your body. I mean, right. except for alcohol and drugs, but that's a whole different story. Yeah. Um, yes. when it, when it comes, when it comes to, uh, vaccines, your employer, though, can set a policy that might feel like they're forcing you to get a vaccine. Okay. So you can imagine situations where, you know, um, airlines, um, nursing homes, long-term care facilities, sure. you know, things where uh, there's going to be a high volume of people and or when there's been a lot of um, transmission of COVID, you're going to have an employer say, you cannot come to work until you're vaccinated. Now that is, I think, is going to be legal. I think that there, most employers are going to have to have a legitimate reason for requiring that. Um, like, I don't think most people in an office setting will be able to, but I can imagine a situation where an employer legally and reasonably sets a policy that says you have to get a vaccine or you can't come to work um, in, you know, in restaurants, in long term care facilities and in things where there's a high volume of people. And that number of clients and customers being served is just going to go up as we start to reopen. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and I was talking to Lior about this uh, earlier this week on uh, on our other show, and it's funny you mentioned that because the restaurant thing came into play, and I said, you know, you're talking servers here who may be masked, but uh, just by the nature of what the business is, the clientele won't be. you got to take your mask off to eat and drink. You'll be sitting there doing this in groups of four or five or ten separated, I assume, you know, um, social distancing or uh, physical distancing, uh, nonetheless. Yeah. And I thought that I said, you know, can a restaurateur, can an owner force people? And I said, if they can't, or if there's any gray area, what do you rely on? Well, you rely on the Ministry of Health, what other guidelines are. If they say this business is not yes. quote unquote mandatory, then you follow whatever, uh, you know, COVID guidelines you're going to uh, be using before and after this pandemic anyway, as far as, you know, mandatory masking and hand cleansing and sanitizing and distancing, I guess that would be the answer to most most people who are in a gray area, whether their business would qualify under ones that would recommend it to be vaccinated, right? Well, I mean, yes and no, right? Because, and it's funny because Leor and I also had a discussion about this and I, and we mm -hmm. sort of disagreed. We had a, we had a bit of an argument about it because I'm of the view that that's going to be true of many places, right? But think about a restaurant. Think about yep. a retail store that has limited their capacity in store, in restaurant to you know a quarter of what it was before the pandemic and perhaps the and and that is so that they can comply with all the provincial health right. um, recommendations if they want to which is absolutely their right to you know pick up business again and return their clientele to 100% then they may not be able to continue to socially distance and it may not be sufficient to have everybody wear masks. I mean, we still don't know how that's all gonna turn out. And I yeah. think a lot of employers are absolutely in the right to think about the preference of their clients. You know, I've had a couple of, um, of dental hygienists talk to me about, you know, what about when a client or a customer or patient, sorry, at a dental clinic comes in and they wanna know who's been vaccinated because they don't want somebody who's not vaccinated working inches from their face. Right, because they don't get to wear a mask in that case. So, I mean, it's going to be incredibly factually de uh, factually dependent. 
I think that at the end of the day, John, you're absolutely right. You're going to have a lot of companies that continue just to implement all of those measures until we've reached some sort of horn sounding in the distance, all clear yeah. pandemic is over. Um, yeah. But there's going to be some places that just can't do that if they want to bring their business back online. And I think that that's where the problems are going to arise. Yeah, it's going to be, as you said, it's going to be pretty interesting based on uh, the way things roll out over the next few months. I know it was either, I can't remember whether it was Queen's or Western uh, University in Ontario. They've uh, kind of made it mandatory vaccinations for students that are going to be in residence. You have no choice. You're getting vaccinated. You're double or you're not going to be living here. So they've kind of, they've kind of, you know, thrown the gauntlet down. So maybe, I mean, that's not an employment situation. It's an educational situation, but who knows if that's going to have, you know, far-reaching effects on the uh, the employment side of things and the business side of things if that university's kind of said, this is what's happening, so get used to it type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that, honestly, we are all just figuring it out as we go. And so even though, yeah. you know, the policies of universities for what students have to be or not be um, to be in residence is going to be something that's taken into account, right? I mean, we're, yeah. we're all paying attention to what everybody else is doing right now to figure out how to make this work. I want to kind of keep going down the road of uh, the vaccinations because I know you're getting a, a million phone calls a week with this stuff, Leah, so it's it's never-ending and emails and texts and everything else. So can you, we talked about getting vaccinated before going back to work or if it's somewhat mandatory or if your mm-hmm. your employer would prefer it, but can your employer fire you for not getting a vaccine? So... If your decision to not be vaccinated is related to what is we would call a protected ground under human rights okay. legislation, then your employer cannot fire you. So if you tell your employer, I am not being vaccinated because of XYZ medical reason, or I am not being vaccinated because of the certain religious belief that I have, Medical disability and religion are protected grounds under human rights legislation, which means that you cannot be treated differentially. You cannot be treated badly, um, adversely in any capacity uh, for exercising um, any component of that enumerated ground. Um, so if your employer decides to fire you anyway, that is illegal. If you don't have a ground like that that supports your decision to not be vaccinated, if it's if it's a personal choice, your employer absolutely can fire you. Huh. Who knew? This is why we spread the information we do every afternoon on a Sunday here on this show. Um, isn't that a wrongful dismissal if they fire you for not getting a vaccine? Would that not qualify under that particular banner? Yeah, and, and I mean, I think that the the term wrongful dismissal is often thought of as being related to the reason for termination mm-hmm. you know so somebody will say you know just as they would say i i just got a great performance review and i've been fired that has to be a wrongful dismissal or you know they let go um you know they they only let me go and i've been there for 20 years and they've kept on sammy who's been there for three months right i think that a lot of um individuals think that the idea of a wrongful dismissal relates to why you were let go and how it was done. But really, you can be let go for any reason as long as it's not discriminatory. So that's why there's this carve out for if the um, choice not to get a vaccine is related to a medical condition or religious reasons. That would make it illegal. That would make it uh, technically a, a wrongful dismissal. But other than that, other than 
you know, a discriminatory ground or because you've made a complaint about discrimination or because you've made a complaint about workplace safety, your employer can fire you for any reason. Where it becomes wrongful dismissal is if you're not provided with the appropriate amount of severance. And let's backtrack a little bit on that for anybody who's uh, maybe the first or second time catching the show ever, I mean, all the years we've been on. But what kind of severance would you be entitled to at that point? And people often yeah. think, oh, I have two weeks per year, no problem. Not so. Yeah, and, and I think that, um, you know, that's why a lot of people don't challenge the severance. And the only reason why they yeah. contact a lawyer after they've been let go is because it feels wrong. But the main reason why you should contact a lawyer when you've been fired is because I can I can almost guarantee you you've been shortchanged. I very few times have I said to somebody, this is a great package, sign on the dotted line. Most times your employer is shortchanging you. And yes, there is this real idea of, you know, two weeks per year or a week per year. Um, and all I can say is that that's, that's why I have a job is because there's a lot of misinformation out there. And just like you don't know what you're entitled to as a result of a Google search, your employer doesn't know what to pay you as a result of a Google search. So you have your um, statutory entitlements. And then of course you also have your common law entitlements. So your statutory entitlements are usually what we're talking about when we say a week per year in Ontario, it's two weeks per year. Um, but over and above that, you also have common law entitlements. And that's going to be roughly about one month for every year that you've been continuously employed. And that number is going to go up or down depending on a number of other factors that we would look at to figure out, hey, how long is it going to take this person to find other work? Because if this person is older, if this person has a disability, if this person had a particularly senior, specialized, or well-paying job, it's going to take them much longer, and they need to be provided with much more severance as a result. You know, it's interesting, too, if you if you dig down, drill down a little further on that uh, that topic, and you say, you know, in all the years you've been practicing this, you can probably count on one hand how many times somebody, like you said, has said, oh, yeah, the offer, let me see. Yep, you're good to go. Sign away, and off you go. <laughs> it just never happens, but... Quite often what it is, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's quite often the salary itself, the, the amount of money they're given as it pertains to weeks or months or whatever is, is, is low. It's not enough. But even if that is the right amount, even if they, somehow an employer has, has, you know, hit the jackpot with, with smarts and they've got that part figured out correctly, sometimes it's the, the periphery that's wrong. They haven't got all of your vacation in there or they haven't given, included yeah. all your commissions or it's the car allowance, which they haven't completed. It's the whole package where it falls short, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that's and that's a great point. I mean, I have a trial tomorrow that's dealing with exactly this issue. Mm. We're not terribly far apart on what we say this individual is entitled to in the event of a termination in terms of weeks or months. But where we are terribly far apart <laughs> is that the employer says, we only are going to pay you your salary. And I'm saying it's not just salary. It's right. also the lost opportunity to earn commissions because this individual was earning about 60% of his take home every year was commissions. And because severance is meant to compensate you for the notice that you did not receive and should have received, you need to be compensated for everything that you would have earned had you continued to work during that notice period. So of course that includes commissions, that includes bonuses, that includes benefits, it includes RSP contributions, it, it can include car and phone allowance. So you also don't want to be blinded by that number, you also want to look at what makes up that number. So great, great point, John.
Yeah, you've often said, you know, for whatever the uh, the term or the uh, period that you're getting the severance, whether it's six months or a year, 24 months, it's 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 meant to make you whole is the term I think you've used yes. before. So it's got to include all all components of your of your employment leading up to when you got terminated, right? It's got to be the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah, your employer, you know, has a base obligation to give you notice. And it's their right to say, we're not going to give you notice. We're going to send you home and we're going to pay you instead. But yep. if they choose to do that, they don't get a discount on that. Yeah. They have to pay you for everything that you've lost. Let's keep in mind here that uh, employment law is a subset of contract law, right? So when you terminate somebody, you are breaching a contract and you've, because of that breach, got to pay all of the damages that arise from that breach. So that's not just loss of salary, that's loss of everything. So if you have to pay for your dentist three weeks after you've been let go because your dental benefits were cut off, guess what? Your employer has to pay for that too. By the way, you want to reach out to Leah and her team when we're not doing the show here on a Sunday afternoon. Simple. 604-283-3123. That's a number you want to keep with you. But here and now, it's uh, 604-280-9898. We're just going to get to, uh, I think we got time to get Dave on the line before we uh, we take a short break. Hi, Dave. Thanks for hanging on for a moment. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm not doing too well. You know, I thought I was okay because I, I worked out a severance package with my employer and it was, uh, you know, around $30,000, so I was like, okay, you know, that's pretty okay, because that sounded fair, but then when I got the deposit, it was only about uh, fourteen or 1000 because they deducted 50% tax. Now, I want to know, like, is that is that normal? Like, because, like, that's, like, a huge chunk to lose, and I want to know the legalities of that. Yeah. So, I mean, your employer is at the sort of behest of the Canada Revenue Agency on that one. Um, oftentimes when severance is paid out, instead of being taxed at your normal rate, it's taxed at a rate where they assume that you are earning that amortized over the year. Right. So it's usually going to be at the highest rate and that should fix itself when you file your taxes in the following year. And they see that you actually didn't earn that much money every single month. But yeah, if but you what, about, what about um, what about the severance? Because it's worked out and it landed this year, but really it's for last year. Does that mean it counts for last year's taxes, or they lump it on this year? It it should count for last year's taxes, and so when you file now, you should be able to get some of that tax back. Okay. And right. I would really, though, uh, Dave, recommend that, you know, if you've only cashed the check and you haven't signed anything else, I would really recommend that you give us a call and yeah. see if we can get you no, any more they, severance they on did top it of with, that. They did it with direct deposit. They just kind of stuck it in there. That's okay. That doesn't mean you've accepted that that's all that you get. Um, and, you know, if they've just paid that out to you, the chances are you're entitled to, to more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you sign anything, Dave? Did you sign anything? No. Yep. No, okay. I didn't. No. Good. Well, it's better that way, oh. isn't it, Leah? It, it is, yeah. Sorry, how long have you been there, Dave? Uh, almost eight years. Yeah, so if you're not getting between eight to 12 months of severance, if that's not what they deposited in your account, I would definitely give yeah. us a call. And the website, absolutely free and anonymous, full of employment law information. You will be much employment law smarter after uh, spending a few minutes on the <laughs> website, Pocket Employment Lawyer. 
Ca and also wrapped up into that sucker is the severance pay calculator, which has literally over the last several years had hundreds of thousands, and I mean that. People check it out and discover what they were really owed since we were talking about severance before the break. Uh, you can find out the correct number at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca using the severance pay calculator. So a lot of uh, workplaces are uh, ramping up uh, return to work. Some may be some yeah. sort of quasi-hybrid situation where, you know, you come in Monday, Tuesday, Friday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll let you work from home Tuesday, Thursday, just for an example. And a lot of places are going back full bore, some of them not at all. But uh, that that's starting to happen now with the increase and the acceleration of vaccinations, Leah. So what if your boss orders you back to work, but... Uh, you know, lifestyle has dictated this last 61 weeks that it's been pretty, pretty good working from home. What do you do? <laughs> I know. I've seen so many TikToks where somebody <laughs> says some version of, if they make me go back to the office, I'll quit. I don't think it is. I don't think anybody wants to wear real pants ever again. So believe me, yeah, I, I get it. Um, but your employer at the end of the day, and nothing about the pandemic has changed this, but your employer at the end of the day has the full right and discretion to determine where the work is performed. So if they are saying that everybody needs to come back into the office, then everybody needs to come back into the office. If they're saying that, you know what, we gave up our real estate and now we want everybody to work from home, uh, that is where you need to work as well. So if your employer tells you that you need to work in you know, XYZ location uh, or do some sort of hybrid, that is unfortunately something that you're stuck with barring any kind of accommodation. So can you insist on working home if you always have? Um, well, I mean, I think that one of the things that we've always discussed is how sort of important it is to have the conversation, right? I mean, right. I'll talk about legal rights and entitlements in a minute, but I think that I've been very pleasantly surprised to see how much employees and employers are willing to sort of work together, right? As long as the conversation is had, um, I've found myself uh, really sort of, like I said, pleasantly surprised to see how much people are willing to engage in that conversation and to find alternate work arrangements that work for people. And so a lot of individuals who may not have the legal right to work from home have spoken to their employers asked to work from home or asked to work, you know, different hours. And employers are much more amenable to that now because they've now seen that it can work, right? I think that there was a big concern among employers that if everybody worked from home, everybody would be slacking, right? Everybody, you, you wouldn't be able to keep track of anybody. Um, you know, people would just treat it as a vacation. And I think what we've, what we've sort of indisputably seen over the last 15 months is that Productivity has actually gone up. In fact, the only articles that I'm seeing with respect to workplace productivity is the fact that it's been a detriment to the worker yeah, because I now know. there's no difference between the That's workplace right. and your home, right? Yep. So people have just been more productive. They've just been productive on their own time and in leggings, right? Which is, which is great. Like, let's welcome this change. Um, I've totally gotten lost, you know, talking about doing leggings, but, but <laughs> the point is, is that if, if your boss tells you that, you know, if, if, that you need to come back to work, you need to go. If you have, again, a medical reason or anything like that, that would, um, that would allow you to work from home. So I'm thinking of people who, 
um, you know, are, are still in a very difficult position from a pre-existing condition standpoint, or maybe yeah. they can't be vaccinated for a medical condition and that puts them at risk. You know, if you've got a doctor saying that you shouldn't be in a workplace that's filled with people, you have the right to ask for medical accommodation and your employer has to accommodate you. So if you've been working from home this whole time and everybody's been called back to the office, chances are your employer is not going to be able to establish that they have a good reason for asking you to come back if you have a medical reason to stay home. So there are some very specific circumstances where you can insist on working from home if you always have. But again, it's it's only going to be tied to those grounds that are discriminatory. One of the really, really interesting things I think is going to be um, this question of family status. Right. It's a, it's a harder test in BC than it is anywhere else. But, you know, that was something that we really grappled with um, when the pandemic first um, uh, first took over this world is, you know, what do parents do if they're being ordered back into the workplace, but their kids can't go to school, right? Or, you know, their kids have to stay home because they had a sniffly nose or, or whatever the case may be. So if you are the only person, if the only possible arrangement is for you to be home with the kids, then you can also ask for accommodation on that basis as well. Yeah, that's going to be, as you said, that's going to be interesting one because based on whatever jurisdiction you're in, whether it's, you know, BC or Manitoba or, uh, you know, over in Ontario where, you know, they're attempting to get the kids' schools open before workplaces are open. I mean, you might be putting the cart before the horse by saying that, but, uh, I mean, if the kids are back at school, then you really don't have an excuse not to get back to work. But, you know, to your other point, to the detriment of workers, that's amazing. There was a there was an article, Kip, several articles I know that you and Lior have been talking about been out in the, uh, in, out in the ether about that exact topic that people feel now that they're home and this has now become their workplace and their domicile, which it always was. Yeah. They're getting emails at eight o'clock at night saying, well, you know, Jim's at home. He might as well, he, he can do this because he's already at home working from home. They don't get a break. There's no, there's, they don't have that separation anymore. So the anxiety and stress level has gone way up regardless of, you know, whether they're working in Crocs and underwear all day. It's, it's amazing what it's, <laughs> what it's done. I think it's really, the exact opposite to your point of what it's done to a lot of people. They haven't slacked off. They, they, they're constantly engaged with their uh, superiors and the rest of the people they work with. So I think that's going to, that's going to be having a few uh, phone calls to your office, I would say, in the next five or six months with people too, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think that, the, that, you know, once we get through this, because now I feel like I can say that without knocking on wood, which is so yeah. wonderful. <laughs> um, but, you know, once we get through this, I think that there are going to be a lot of employers who are transitioning to some sort of hybrid model or possibly working from home forever because they realize that they don't want to spend the money on expensive real estate downtown. For and sure. so I sort of predict that the next big issue in employment law is going to be this right to unplug, right? You've got, yeah. you've got France who is, I, I think has or is considering passing legislation in that respect. Um, and there's a real, real live concern, especially as we blur these lines between home and work and technology makes it impossible to ever fully unplug. I mean, you get yeah. Wi-Fi anywhere you go. Um, I think that the, the right to turn it off is going to be a live issue for employment law and employment relationships over the next couple of years. I mean, I know that I... I personally really struggle with that working from home. I mean, it just feels like you have the capacity to always be available. And so why wouldn't you, um, yep. you know, especially in something like employment law, when people are going through very difficult, very traumatic things for the first time and you have the capacity to help them, it feels, 
it feels cruel to sign off at five and not respond to their panicky email until the next morning, you know, but um, we also, as a society and individually, really, really need to consider the mental health of our workers because ultimately an unhealthy workforce is going to be an unproductive workforce too. How you do that? We're talking about, uh, you know, going back to work and that's where you started in the office and you could be heading back there and you got to go if the boss, if the workplace says it's uh, returned to normal, you got to do it unless there's some, uh, you know, special you know, extenuating circumstances. But what if uh, what if you feel unsafe in the workplace? And by that, I mean you know, not being around the people you've always worked with. Well, you might have a bit. Of, that, that might be that might be a whole other show. Is going back and being around people again? That might be a completely different thing. I have to bring in a psychologist for that one. But what if you feel unsafe as far as like protocols and 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 you know that type of thing is concerned? What do you do? Yeah, well, that that is going to be the big exception. So you know, with everything that we've spoken about in this show so far, which is that, you know, your employer has the right to dictate the, where the work takes place and they can set these policies with respect to vaccinations. If you don't feel like it's a safe environment, if for whatever reason you think and you hold this belief in good faith that there's something about the workplace that is putting you or anybody else at risk, you can refuse to work. So what you want to do is let your employer know that you think that the work is unsafe and that because of that, you are engaging in a work refusal. Um, and at that point, your employer is going to immediately be required to investigate your complaint. So if your complaint has something to do with, um, you know, the plexiglass being taken down or something like that, your employer has to immediately determine whether or not they can still uh, operate in the way that they have uh, while keeping everybody safe. Because your employer, every employer in British Columbia has the obligation, the positive obligation to keep a workplace healthy, to keep a workplace safe. So if you don't feel like it's safe, you make that complaint, they investigate it. You do not have to work during that period of time, right? The best example I can think of is somebody who's told to work on a roof that has asbestos in it, right? You don't have to work on that roof while they're determining whether or not there's asbestos in it. You can go home, you can wait it out. But if your employer comes back and says, all clear, we don't think there's a problem, you've got a choice. You either have to accept that and return, or you can say, I, I'm, I'm sorry, this is not satisfactory to me and I want to escalate it. At that point, an escalation means that you're going to, basically the employer is gonna redo the investigation this time with a third party. So in a union setting, it's going to be with a union representative. In a non-union setting, it's going to be with a health and safety representative. So somebody from, you know, like a joint health and safety committee, or it could just be with, you know, somebody from HR or some third party individual who wasn't involved in the first investigation. If the investigation comes back and and you still don't think that it, it quite does it, if you're if you're still concerned about the safety in the workplace, at that point, you have the option of making a formal complaint to WorkSafe BC. And at that point, once you've already addressed it with your employer, WorkSafe BC will send an investigator to the workplace and then they will make a determination. That determination is always going to be done um, in conjunction with uh, provincial recommendations. And so as long as your employer is following all of those guidelines, you will be required to come to work. But if they're not, then the investigator is likely going to 
I mean, it's possible that they could shut it down. Chances are they won't. Um, they will simply just require the employer to bring their company in line with a provincial mandate and at that point require you to return to work. Still got some uh, some time here, 604-280-9898, to call into the show and ask your questions uh, with Leah. I want to move down to this. The times you need an employment lawyer, the big one right off the top, is uh, pretty easy. You've been fired. It's a good time to call. Yes, this is definitely the best time to call. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think that this is always such an important topic to cover, and maybe we can do like a bit of a speed round through all of these. But, you know, I think that when you get hit, when you get rear-ended, right, or when you get hit on a sidewalk or whatever the case may be, you know you probably need a personal injury lawyer, right? When you're going through um, a divorce, you know that you probably need a lawyer. It is not always apparent to people when you need an employment lawyer. Um, cool. And so th- that is why I find this topic to be yeah. so important. And as we were saying earlier in the show, a lot of people think that if if you've been fired and you understand the reason, right, perfect example is this last year so many individuals were like okay i I get it you know there's been an economic downturn i understand that people had to lay me off because business is really bad and you know we're dealing with this pandemic but again the reason is not important the reason has no bearing on what your severance should be you are entitled to severance when you are let go And the only way to triple check and be certain that you are getting the severance you are entitled to is to speak to a lawyer. So as we had that conversation with Dave who called in, you need to make sure that whatever the company paid you is the full extent of what you're entitled to or else you are leaving a bunch of money on the table. It is exactly the same thing as working two weeks and saying, you know what, don't worry about my paycheck. You can just, you know, I'll just leave that in my locker. You know, it, it is that is money that you are entitled to. That is money that you should be receiving. And there's no reason not to go after that. And that in that situation, it's actually quite a bit different than mm-hmm. being rear ended because you're not looking to blame anybody. This is just simply what you have earned from your years of service. Right. So absolutely. When you have been fired, when you have been let go, call a lawyer, figure out what you are entitled to, and then from there, at least, you can make the decision about what you want to do about it. You need an employment lawyer when you're getting bad performance reviews that you do not agree with. Oh, yes. Could not agree with this one more. Do not wait until you have been fired for cause for bad performance. It is so disheartening when I speak to somebody who says, you know, I've been fired for cause for performance issues, and, you know, I yes, I had all these warnings, but I never agreed with them. And I say, okay, well, you know, did you object in writing? Did you have this conversation with them? And they didn't. And, you know, that doesn't make the uh, the claim insurmountable. It doesn't mean that we can't pursue something, but you are always going to be better served by tackling this from the get-go. As soon as you feel like something is amiss, as soon as you feel like your employer is you know, targeting you in some way, or even if you don't think that it's as nefarious as being targeted, even if you just think that they just have it wrong, they just are mistaken about the reasons why you were late, or they're just, you know, they just heard somebody else's story and didn't get yours. You wanna make sure that you are doing everything you can to protect yourself from being terminated for cause. Because in relation to the severance thing, because an employer can terminate you for any reason, how much you're entitled to is the only way that you're protected. Yeah. Right? So yeah. you, a lot of employers, what they do 
as if they've got a long-term employee that they want to let go, instead of paying them, you know, 12, 14, 16, 24 months, they start building a cause case, right? They start saying, you know what? You're actually not performing in the way that we were expecting you to. Yeah, if you get yeah. two more warnings, we're going to let you go for cause and without severance. And, you know, these poor individuals say, okay, well, I'll just pick up my socks and I'll do better. But what you need to do is you need to respond. You need to do everything you can in those moments to paper your file and insulate yourself against the potential of being terminated without severance down the line. Let's get a quick call in there as we get down to our last few minutes here. Uh, Brock, thanks for taking the time. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. Good afternoon. Uh, you know, I, I just listened to uh, your, your lawyer for a few minutes, but it reminded me of... Uh, when my wife was fired from a job at the Holiday Inn at Metrotown, she was working in housekeeping. She was a good employer. They had she had tons of accolades about her, but they accused her of stealing a baseball cap. And uh, anyway, they fired her. I talked to three different lawyers, and they said they said they wouldn't take her case on a contingency basis because she was only making eleven dollars an hour, and it wasn't worth yeah. their time or trouble. And that's my comment: is, is that uh, it's all fine and dandy to say that lawyers will help people, but it all depends on what the wages are. No, no, I, I, and I'm so sorry that you went through that. I, that makes me that makes me ill, honestly. It does because um, that's what okay. contingency is there for. It's not to line the pockets of lawyers; it's to help people who can't afford it. And so, if your wife is still within that two-year limitation period, like if this happened within the last two years, call me. I'll take it on. No, it was twenty years ago. Wow. Oh, <laughs> it was it was twenty years ago. But still, you know, it, like you sound like a very nice person. I'm not insulting you, but I'm just saying that I, we talked. We we phoned three different lawyers, explained the circumstance to them, the whole the whole nine yards. Yeah, they said it's just not worth their time. Oh, wow. I'm so I'm so sorry to hear that, Brock. Because that's I mean that's the reason why McLean's had a magazine cover that said lawyers are rats. I don't think very highly of everybody in my profession, and I don't take what you're saying personally because I do see that all the time. I've had people call me countless times saying that you know they weren't able to get representation because they couldn't afford it. And even if it's not worth it from a contingency perspective, you have a lot of lawyers who don't even offer contingency. They just say, okay, well, yeah, sure, you've got a claim. Now you've got to pay me $600 an hour. I mean, your average person, most people, are not going to be able to pay that kind of money when they've just lost their only source right. of income. So I'm I'm so sorry to hear that that happened to you and your wife. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a drag. Like you said, you, I know you're not a fan of everybody who's in the business, but hey, there's great car dealerships and there's ones that are a little uh, well, the DBs. Let's let's just face it. There's like, there's like that in any business, right? So uh, <laughs> so yeah, they should always call you first. This is the reason why you guys have got the. And I'm I'm not saying this just because, but it's true. You you're the most positively reviewed uh, employment law firm in the country. People can check that out. There's a reason why, because you do not mess around. It's been a, it's been a great day, man. Appreciate it. appreciate the phone calls, the emails, and all the correspondence. You want to continue now that we are done for this day? You can reach out to uh, to Leah. She's really cool. She'll talk to you. It's not going to cost you anything. Just have a chat. Get some information, man. 604-283-3123. Just that simple. Help at employmentlawyer.ca through email. And finally, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That website is a good place to start as well. We'll talk to you next time. Employment Law Show on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.